Let's just pray. Hallelujah. Father, we come before the throne of grace, O oh Lord. We worship you. We thank you. We give you all the glory. Lord, you are an eternal, everlasting, good God, O oh Master. You are a good Father who always loves us, O oh Lord. Your grace towards us is always abounding. Your grace never ceases in our lives, O oh Lord. And you always continually bless us. Abba, Father, we just lift your name up on high this evening time, O oh Master. Lord, your word says that where two or three are gathered, in my name, there I am in their midst. Yeshua, you are right now. The King of Kings, the Lord of Glory is here at 1401 Van Winkle Drive. You are here right now in our midst, O oh Master. And anything that we desire, anything that we want, we can receive because we look into the full face of the glory of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. The glory that even Moses could not behold face to face. But you have made us behold your face, O oh Master. And and we can receive everything that rightfully belongs to us in Christ Jesus, O oh Lord. Therefore, Lord, your ministering spirit, speak to us, O oh Lord. Expound your word, O oh Master, because you are our teacher, you are our rabbi, and you are our God. And you fill us with all goodness and knowledge, O oh Master. For, for this life, so that godliness will be fruitful for us in this life and in the life to come, O oh Master. Father, let hearing yours be open to us, open, O oh Master. Let our eyes see, O oh Lord, the goodness of the Lord in the, in the word of God, O oh Master. And help us to be able to live by it, O oh Master, because we can see how good you are. Bless us, O oh Master, and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, last time we had studied the five post-cross realities of the cross, post-cross realities. And we will just quickly go through it, if you've not been here last time. That was about a couple of months back. We studied that Jesus, after he rose again, he, interestingly, you go back and check, uh, he asked questions, very interestingly. One of the first questions was he asked Mary Magdalene. He asked, why are you sad? Second question, he asked, why are you troubled? Third question he asked, why do doubts arise in your heart? Fourth question he asked, children, do you have any food? Fifth question he asked, Peter, he said, do you love me? So it's very interesting. Jesus, after, he wrote, I was, after his cross, he asked questions implying the things that he asked are not necessary for us. Like, for example, the first question, why are you sad? So the obviously implication of post-cross is we have no reason ever after the cross to be sad. Say, I, I will, will never be sad. Be sad. Remember? I mean, the, even just saying that is like, how can I? That is, that's a post-cross reality. Why are you sad? I mean, why are you sad? And we'll not go back into the message because he said, your joy will be full now that you see Jesus Christ. There is no reason. Any, there, there is no reason. I mean, Anil, but uh, there's a situation in my life. No reason. For no reason for you to be sad. Because in Jesus, post-cross, all authority has been given to you and your joy is complete and full. There's no reason. The only reason you are sad after the cross is because you have wrong information. Like the disciples, they were sad on the road of Emmaus and Jesus asked him, why are you sad? He said, did you know, did you know what happened? The savior of the world, the guy who was supposed to save us, they crucified. What was, the information was wrong. Because he was crucified, correct, but he had 
not full information. The total information is he's rose again, right? So the only reason after the cross you are sad is because you do not have complete information. Say complete information. So as long as you have complete information, you'll not be sad. So the re whenever you're sad as a believer, you need to go back to the word and get complete information. Simple as that. <laughs> so it's all of your quiet time and your Bible study is all about, can I get more complete information? That's all it is. So look at it very logically. You know, don't be sad. Get complete information, right? So, and every time we go back and it's, it's a beautiful study. Go back and read Jesus after resurrection, his questions. Nobody was ultimately sad. They were all, they were all very excited and they were very joyful. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Second post uh, reality was, he said, uh, what's that? Why are you troubled? Uh, because I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. It's a promise after the cross. That's done. Those days are gone where you have to be afraid. He said, now you no reason to be troubled. Third reality is, third reality is, why do doubts arise in your heart? So the reality is that believing you will have life. After the cross, if you believe, you have life. Absolutely no reason to have doubts after the cross. Amen? And then the fourth reality is, children, have you any food? So the implication is, after the cross, you ought to always have food, always abound, always be in prosperity, always be complete. So if it's not happening, then it's again, why? Because you have wrong information. Wrong information. You have wrong information. You ought to have food. That's why Jesus asked Peter. He said, Children. In fact, there were a lot of people in the boat, right? <laughs> Peter was only not the only one in the boat after the cross going fishing. There were a lot of bunch of disciples who wanted to jump. Therefore, he asked children. If it was only Peter, he would ask, Simon, Simon, have you any food? <laughs> you have to say, children, have you any food? Because they ought to have food, right? They worked all night, but they're supposed to have food. But they did not have. But as in the post-cross reality, the reality is, Remember, the fourth reality is you should have food, but the reality is without him, you can do nothing. I mean, you, uh, we made a statement that sometimes as an unbeliever, you could have done some things without Jesus. Now that you're a believer, <laughs> you, you're going nowhere. I mean, F Peter could fish without Jesus before Jesus appeared into his life, but after Jesus came, he could not even catch one fish without Jesus. Now, without Jesus, you can do nothing. So it's like, it's good news because with him, you can do everything. everything. So the exciting thing is, you can do great things with Jesus, but the sad news is, as a believer, without Jesus, you can do nothing. What, how many things? Nothing, nothing. nothing. So, and the fifth reality is, do you love me? And we will we'll study about it in some other time, but. The final reality, one of the realities of Jesus is he, he wants you to be convinced that you love him and the Lord loves you. He wants to be assured of your salvation. He, he always wants to be assured as a believer that don't doubt God's love for you and don't doubt your love for him. There are two reasons why the enemy has a hold in our lives. is because either he makes you doubt about God's love for you which many times he's not make, able to make you doubt. But there are situations where, you know, you don't receive from the Lord, then you kind of have an understanding, hey, you know, God, I, God does not love me as much, you know. 
without as in, without saying in that many words. And the and the th and the other one is, you don't love him. You know, you're constantly in this condemnation that I don't love Jesus, I don't love him enough, I don't love him. You know, the most important reality when he was restoring Jesus, Peter was telling. Or finally, Peter broke down. He said, do you love me? What did Peter say? You know all things. You know that I feel you. I don't agape you. So that's the question. Peter, Jesus was constantly asking him, and uh, we studied. I don't know whether we covered it in the last time. He, his, all his questions was, Peter, do you agape me? Peter, Peter would reply, Lord, I feel you. Because you, can't do, you don't see that in the English. But this is what is going on in the Greek. So he said, Peter, Jesus is asking, Peter, Simon Peter, do you agape me? Agape me means, do you love me with all your heart, with all your mind, unconditionally? Do you love me? And Peter is saying, Lord, I feel you. you. Means I love you as a brother. Means I don't love you, agape you. Then he asked him again, do you agape me? He said, no. He said, I, I feel you. you. Then he asked him the third time. He said, then finally P P P Jesus asked, and this is so touching, because you can only see this in the Greek, right? Because in the English, you don't see this. In the Greek, Jesus' final question is, Simon Peter, do you feel you me? Ah. Do you feel you me? And Peter then breaks down. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I only feel you you. See, God knows that you only feel you him. And it's, he's okay with that. But he wants you to know that I know that you only feel you me. And I am okay with that. Why? Because it is not in your failure to me that you are held. It is in my agape of you that you are held. Amen? You see, now that you are not, you are secure in your salvation. Your salvation is not dependent on how much you love me. Your salvation is secure because I have decided, I have committed to my father of all that you have given me, I will lose no one. It has nothing to do with how much you love me. It's all to do with how much I love my father and how much I love you. I will not allow anybody to pluck me out from yourself, pluck you from myself, not even you. Not even you. That's why Peter, when he said, Peter, Satan has asked me to sift you as wood, uh, wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. That means, even when you have denied me, you will still come back to me. Why? Because you would not, you would not go away. Doesn't matter how much you love me. See, isn't that a great reality to know? Post-cross, you can be assured not only about God's love for you, but you can be assured that God knows how much you love him. And he is cool with it. So you don't have to be insecure. As one of the biggest relationships, challenges as a husband and a wife is husband not knowing how much the wife loves him and a wife not knowing how much the husband loves him. And on that insecurity is all the corruption that the enemy can bring, right? Really, it is all about that. It's all about wife not being, not knowing how much this guy loves me. And the wife, the husband doesn't know how much this, if only she knew all that I do, Will she love me? Or, and if she says, if only he knows how much I hate him, will he love me? <laughs> you know? 
So all kinds, all kinds of insecurity going on there. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why? Because the one who loves both of them loves them unconditionally. Hallelujah. Therefore, you are free to love each other unconditionally. Hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful that you can be rest in the understanding that you love Jesus in the level, feel your love, it's fine, but you love him. God loves you, agape. Amen? Now you are free to love each other because without being the need to be affirmed all the time. And God loves you. Hallelujah. God loves you. God loves you. Okay. That is the message of last time. So we come back to the today's message. Today's the title of the message is, and Josh helped me in this, my son. And he said, Anil, you need to, pre uh, Dad, you need to preach on this, you know. And I was like, you know, uh, I was kind of struggling in the, I had all these thoughts of what the Lord wanted me to speak. And, but he kind of crystallized it. And he said, Dad, God told me this. You, why don't you preach this? And this is his title. Let go, let God. Let go, let God. Let go, let God. Or the subtitle, that is actually a subtitle. The main title is, Do No Work. Do no work. Let go, let God. And, I, and if you bear with me, and if you, uh, we're going to go dig deep into the scripture and get an understanding totally from, as a believer, how to walk in this freedom of let go, let God. Let go, let God. Do no work. All along in our life, we have been said, if you work hard, you will be successful. Let me tell you something. <laughs> in the kingdom of God, Work is a bad name for a, for a believer. Believe, believe is a good, good thing in the kingdom of God. Work is a bad thing. Believe the work is a good thing. Hallelujah. And we'll study that very deeply and we'll study, get into as much details as possible. So are you all ready? Are you all ready to go down a little deep? Saying also is a good work. Which one? Saying. Saying is a good work. Saying is a good work. Amen. Let's go that. Okay. So we'll take from last time what we studied of the, one of the post-cross realities is Peter's case, right? Let's go back to Peter. Let's jump there. Peter, John chapter 21. Let's jump in. And we have a lot of scriptures and a lot of stuff to do, so we are going to rush. But I think we will get a good a foundation for us to understand. This is, I think it's coming from the, some good teaching, some good material. Uh, y'all guys will love it, but y'all just need to be ready to take in a lot of scripture, right? Amen. And y'all can do your own study, but I'll at least build a foundation of let go, let God. It's almost like a fundamental part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, let's go to John chapter 21. Now, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Thomas, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of their disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you too. We are, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. nothing. Right. And when morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find. So they cast and now they were not able to draw in because of the multitude of the fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on the outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far away from the land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. And as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them and said, come and eat breakfast. Hallelujah. Okay. Now, we, all, we understood this practice. We understood, we, uh, we read about Simon Peter. Now, look at this picture. Simon Peter, uh, after resurrection, this is, he decides that I'm going to go fishing. I am going fishing. And the others said, we are going with you too. And they all jumped into the boat and they went. And the Bible concludes their, their whole efforts in just one sentence. It says, and that night, they caught nothing. Night, brothers and sisters, is a long time. <laughs> Sometimes the Bible has a sense of humor about it. You know, that night, they caught nothing. Seriously, the guy's been working all night. How many hours in a night, right? I mean, these guys did not... And all night long, all night long, they caught nothing. I mean, in the morning, they are still in the boat. That's when Jesus, now, when, when morning had come, who is on the shore? Jesus is on the shore. Where are the disciples? In the, in the boat. Seriously, all night long is not enough to know that you cannot catch fish. They are still there in the morning. <laughs> now Jesus, you know, Jesus is appearing on the morning. You know, it's almost like, okay, I better go up now. These guys will stay on the boat. <laughs> I mean, it'll be. Then I have to add in one more verse: all night and all day, <laughs> they, caught, they caught nothing. So the interesting thing is, they caught nothing. Now look at. We all know this picture, right? Here is a classic example of in your flesh, somebody you want to do stuff, you cannot do. You don't get anything because what Jesus said. Flesh, profits, nothing. My spirit, it is life who gives life. And my words, they are spirit and they are life. Hallelujah. So what is needed for you to be productive in your life? In your, in your, as a believer, what is needed for you to be productive? Flesh or your self-effort or what? Or spirit or, and Jesus clarified spirit as being? My words, they are spirit, they are life. So, look, what is the alternative? As a believer, you have the option to hang on to the flesh to be productive, or you need what? Words. Say words. words. You need words. You need words. Now, I want you to get this picture. You need the uh, flesh, or you need words. Say it's flesh, or words, or words. You need either flesh or words. Now. Peter went in his flesh because he knows how to fish, correct? Correct? He knows how to fish. So he jumped into the boat, he went. All the others jumped into the boat and went. Because they all know fishing, right? Sons of Zebedee. Remember, sons of Zebedee are partners in the fishing business, right? You know, I mean, three years, you don't, you don't forget fishing. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I did not ride a bike for a long time. And when we, we bought a bike for Josh, I got into the bike and I was like, and Josh was like, Dad, how do you know so well? I'm like, Man, I rode bike to school all so many years back. But you know, 20 years I never rode a bike, but I got on the bike, I knew exactly. Hey, you know stuff, right? That's flesh. So self-effort. I mean, it is there, it's part of it. You know, you don't forget it. 
So Peter and James and everybody, they knew fishing. So they went, they went into, with their flesh, they jumped in, they got into the boat, and they immediately got into the boat. So they had the boat, their boat was still around there, you know? I mean, it's not like they're going to lease a boat, you know, they had their boat. So boat was around. So boat, boat is still there, available. So opportunities are always available for you to engage your flesh. Remember that. Just because, you know, many times we say believers, believers, we pray like this, you know, Lord, if it is thy will, shut the door, shut this door, shut the door. You know, we're like constantly knocking at all these wrong doors, but don't open, Lord, because if it is a wrong door, don't open. You know, that is a stupid way of living life, you know. Rather, you know, rather why don't you ask, Lord, Lord, guide me into the right paths and the right pastures. Why do you want to constantly knock at all the wrong pastures and say, Lord, hope this grass is so bitter that I don't eat it, you know. <laughs> That's a stupid way of living a sheep's life, right? I mean, Lord, let this grass be full of poison that if I eat it, I vomit, you know. That's not how God wants to lead you. God wants to lead you into good pastures. So go into the pastures that God leads you. Not like, close this door, close that door. You know, that's not the way. Don't knock it. But, you know, interestingly, life offers you a lot of boats at the right sea for you to engage your flesh in. It's very interesting. You know, it all appears as if, oh, it's just like perfect. This, this looks like, this looks like God. <laughs> Boat, sea, shore, right timing, it is there. That is God. That is God. You know? No, no, no. Because what you need is not opportunities to engage your flesh. You need what? Words. Say words. You need words. See, if you don't have words, then you're operating in the flesh. It's very interesting. If you don't have words, you're operating in the flesh. Okay, you need to have promises. You need to have the word that God, Jesus is speaking to you. That, but doesn't matter whether there are boats, fish, or forget there's no ocean, but fish will come. Will, can fish appear in the wilderness? Wow, how can fish appear in the wilderness? Of all the places, how can fish appear in a desert? He did. A young boy brought two small fish. How many? Five loaves and two small fish. What happened to those two small fish? They multiplied. I mean, they, Jesus did not have nets. Fish don't, fish don't walk on sand, but fish came. Why? Because they had words. He had words. He said, sit down, make them sit down. And he looked up and thanked the father. He had words, hallelujah. You give them something to eat was the word on which fish appeared. Remember when Jesus said, you give them something to eat, immediately empowered fish to appear in the wilderness. Bread, when no bakeries around, bread appeared. Why? Because now the word of the son of God is landed on the earth. You give them something to it. The fact that you give them something to it means what? I am now empowered to receive everything to feed this crowd. Hallelujah. So you need to be constantly looking for where are the words? Not, is there a boat? You got it? You see the thing? Don't look for the boat. Look for where are the words. Okay, now look at this. Children, do you have, do you have any food? They answered, no. Then he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find. What happened suddenly? 
words came, right? Hallelujah. For the first time, in this desire to have fish, what are the missing link? Words came. Words came. Words came. The moment words came, what happened? Fish came. When words came, fish came. Hallelujah. When words came, fish came. Now look at this picture. Now this is very, this is, ve this is fun. How do you fish? You fish, and we just studied how you fish. You, the way you fish is you, Peter just, Peter gets into the boat, you cast the nets, you work all night, and you catch some fish, right? Now let's look at what happens with words, how you catch fish. This is a picture, an unusual picture of a fisherman, fully clothed, swimming to the shore with a boatload of fish following him. Hallelujah. That's the miracle. Hallelujah. That happens when the word of God is in your life. How do you fish like that? Fully clothed. Jumped into the water, going towards the shore, boat full of, full of fish following him. How does that happen? Picture that scenario, right? Now Jesus is standing on the shore. And here is a fisherman, a so-called fisherman, fully clothed, coming towards Jesus. Guess what? Where is the fish? Following him. Where is the boats? Following him. And following him is the truckload of uh, how many, uh, how, what do you call the 22 wheels? 22 wheeler? What do you call it? 18 wheeler? 18 wheeler trailer following him with fish down the highway. Now that is fishing. That's how you fish. How do you fish? You fish fully clothed. Why? Why are you, when do you remove your clothes? Look at it. Very interesting. The Holy Spirit never puts words in the Bible for a re, uh, just to fill space. Look at this verse. Verse 7. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, what did he do? He put on, his outer. He put on the outer garment. Why do you take off the outer garment? Because, right, that's the reason. What did he say? Labor. You labor. You take off your outer garment to labor. When do you put on your outer garment? When you're at rest. In Jesus... In this walk as a believer, the way you receive your multi increase, the way you receive your abundance, the way you receive your prosperity is fully clothed sitting. Not unclothed laboring all night. Now that's a co total contrast of the way the world thinks it. The way thing is, fisherman takes his garments, goes out to the sea in a boat. The word of God says the way you receive is Go towards Jesus, fully clothed, let the fish and the boat will follow you. That is how. Hallelujah. That's hallelujah. That's how it is done. So you, but what was missing? How do you get that position? You, you wait for? Words. When words are there, it doesn't matter if sea of Tiberius is there. Fish is up here. Why? Because Peter wanted fish. I mean, does he need so much fish to eat breakfast? No. Is it a waste of so much fish? Could be. But God doesn't care. As long as, I mean, how many times have you given your children stuff that you know they will never use? 
<laughs> I mean, Daddy, buy this for me. This is the super duper, the best. I, I, I tell Josh, Josh, you are not going to use this, seriously. But no, buy. We know they're not going to use it, but you buy it for them, why? To see the joy of them opening the packet. <laughs> Maybe that's the last time they even, I don't think they've even changed the batteries, right? I mean, that's the last time, right? I mean, after that, it's gone. But you just, you enjoy them opening it because it fills the father's heart with joy when they see their children joyful. So why do you think, well, there's a boatload of fish and large fish following Peter? Because Peter wanted fish. So Jesus says, take fish, go, enjoy, because he's not going to eat. In fact, did Jesus have fish on the, sea sh on the shore already? Did it come from the sh fish that they had just caught? No. Because for breakfast, also, he didn't need to fish. Where did Jesus get his fish? Through the words. Through the words. He got fish with his words. How did he get bread? Okay, now look at it. Now, flesh will tell you, because you're a fisherman, you can fish. Okay, granted, but what about bread? How are you going to get bread? See, you're not a baker. So for bread, you need Jesus. But for fish, I can do it. See, that's how a believer's life thinks, right? For salvation, I need Jesus. But for all these other things, I can do it. So guess what? You work all night. But salvation comes as a free gift. So I can fish, but you can bake. So I'll come to you for bread, but for fish, I will use my efforts. I'm telling you, give it up. Let fish come from him. Let bread come from him. Hallelujah. But God will use any resource that he you have received by obedience to his word. So did, did Jesus say, bring the fish that you have just caught? Did he say that? Why? Because it is sanctified. See, the, the Bible says, what does it also say? It says out here, uh, John chapter, this, so beautiful. How many, did the net break? Why? Verse 11. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. Why? Because there's a promise. A post-cross reality promises is that I've appointed you to bear fruit and that your fruit will remain. That means your fruit will not be lost. You know, as, a not, as without Christ, when you try to struggle in life, it's almost like you gain stuff, then you're losing it on the side. But when you receive it as a result of a word of God that God has and you, are, you believed it and you received it, that fruit will remain. It will not rot. In fact, un unless these guys would have eaten that fish, that fish would not rot. Fish, that fruit will remain. That fruit will remain. That fruit will remain. So, so depend on your spirit, not on your flesh. Let go. Let God. Let go, let God in your life. It's not worth it. You may know fishing. You'll find some of your great areas of your greatest strengths becomes your greatest liabilities as, uh, as a believer. It's really true. Because you depend on so much on that arm of flesh in your area of strength, that becomes a weakness. And you don't multiply. That's why one of the 
you know, some of the greatest ministries are born out of the areas in which they were the greatest lack, you know? The most, you know, some guy who could not, he could stammer, he became the greatest preacher. You know, Moses was a stammerer, God used him greatly in every weakness, you know? All the areas where you're weak, they suddenly become, God gives them a ministry that they flourish. Why? Because God is glorified. Hallelujah. Because it's also because you don't depend on your flesh. Because the, Jesus is very clear. Flesh profits nothing. Amen? Amen. Okay. So there you go. So fully clothed. Say fully clothed. I, you will always, and I will always, say, I will always walk into every uh, uh, work of the Lord fully clothed, resting, resting. I mean, this has to just get into our minds that this is how you become fruitful in your life. Just rest in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter... Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. Did you get that? Okay. <clears throat> so he's talking, Isaiah chapter 58, uh, God is talking to his people and he says, what kind of fast do I need? No? What, do, what kind of fast do I need? And he, look at that, verse 5. Is it a fast that I have chosen, that a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? Now, God is saying, what kind of fast do I want? And he says, should, be, should, it, be, should it be a fast that you work hard, you labor, you toil, you afflict your soul, you spread out sackcloth and ashes? Is that the fast I want? I mean, that, I thought, yes, Lord, that's a fast. That looks like a fast to me. I mean, afflict your soul, you know? Uh, bow down your head like a bulrush, spread out sackcloth and ashes, you, you know? You're crying out, you're working, you're laboring. Now look at God's idea of a fast. Then verse 6. There are seven aspects to this fast. Say seven. I'll tell you there's a reason. Seven of perfection out here. Look at Is it not a fast I have chosen to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke, to share your bread with the hungry, to bring, your, bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and, hide your, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like morning and your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness will go before you. Now look at it. Lose the bonds. Undo the heavy burdens. Let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. Share bread with the hungry. Let the poor come in and let the no naked be clothed. Seven. 
Who fulfilled the seven? Not you. He's not telling, this is the fast I want. Jesus, my son, do this. How do you know that Jesus did it? Why? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 61. How does it start? The spirit of the Lord. This is the same passage that Jesus took when he went to the synagogue in Nazareth. And he opened the scroll of Isaiah and he pointed out this scroll. And what is this? This is exactly the fulfillment of the kind of fast that God wants to be done on the earth. This is his dream. This is like a dream fast. And Jesus says, I, this is fulfilled. And he starts by saying that. Look at the words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Anointed whom? Jesus. Anointed Jesus. Not you and me. He's anointed Jesus to preach good tidings to the poor. One of the things, poor will come into this house. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Guess what? The, uh, uh, and the day of the vengeance, because that he still not said, and he did not quote. Interestingly, when Jesus quoted Isaiah, he never quoted this verse. He's never quoted to proclaim the day of vengeance of the Lord. He closed the book when he said to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord and closed it and kept it. Why? No, because that he did not come to proclaim in the first coming of Jesus Christ. When he first came, he claimed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He is coming again to proclaim the vengeance of the Lord. But that time he is not. So he closed the book. He knew when to close it. He knew how to rightly divide the word of God. And Jesus knew it. And he closed it. Why? Because now he is fulfilling God's desire of an acceptable fast. Hallelujah. The acceptable fast in God's eyes is when you labor not. When you burden not and you remove the yoke from your midst and when you are set free, that's the fast that he's looking for. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 58. Go back. It's very powerful. So you'll love it. And then he says, then he, then he points the responsibility to the believer who receives it. Look at that. Now this part from verse 6 to verse 7, everything is what Jesus did. As an acceptable fast. And you always wondered, you know, when I, when, I, when, when I used to read the passage, you say, Lord, that's a lot of demands on me to fulfill a fast. I mean, I, you know, I'm just going to take care of one, you know, one meal. That's it. I mean, you're asking me to loosen the bonds of wickedness. You know, that is not a demand on you. That was a demand on Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Only he could break the bonds. He could set the captives free. He could do that. He did it. I've chosen. That's a fast that Jesus chose, did it, and he accomplished it for us. But then he comes to our part. He says what? Verse 9. Then you, see why small? You shall call on the Lord and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Because now that fast is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now God has received you. You can ask and you shall receive. Next verse. If you take away, take away what? The yoke from your midst, the pointing of finger, the speaking of wickedness. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of fingers. I mean, you, 
your role as a believer right now is to take away the yoke. That means stop working. Say stop working. Stop working. I want you to go back to, let's go uh, verse 13. Read this. Can somebody read verse 13 onwards? 13 to 14. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, on, of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him and not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hallelujah. He says, if you turn away. So what is he God calling you to do? And this is a very powerful verse. How many of you have read that verse like, if you delight, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart? And we always wonder, how do I delight myself in the Lord? Here is the answer. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. When? When? When will you delight yourself in the Lord? When you do what? When you do what? Look at that. Verse 13. And I'm telling you, this is, this is a key for a victorious Christian life. The key to a victorious Christian life and a productive life is when you honor the Sabbath. Now, men say, Anil, I'm not a Jew. Right? What has Sabbath got to do with it? That's precisely the point. Just shut up and rest is your Sabbath. Just don't use your words. Don't speak your words. Don't do the things that you want to do. Just rest. Stop your feet. I mean, like for Peter, what was the rest in that John chapter 21? What was the rest? When his flesh was telling, get up and go and go fishing, what should he have told his flesh? Shut up. It's the Sabbath. Why? Jesus has finished the fast. It's Sabbath. It's an acceptable, not just an acceptable, acceptable day. It's an acceptable year. You are in an acceptable year. You are in an acceptable year where you refuse to turn. So you have turned your foot from the Sabbath. That when your foot wants to get up and go, you say, no, shut up. Don't do it. Right. Correct. So right now we are not talking about the Sabbath as the day. It is the Sabbath of Yeshua, where he is fulfilled the rest. Remember that Sabbath was just a little trailer God had put in the old covenant to show that a day is coming when in the, what happened? Sabbath, we, once we are in the live stream, we have taken a beautiful session. It was a powerful session of how they, Israel discovered Sabbath. It was very interesting, and we'll go back to it one of these days, and we'll do a complete uh, session on the Sabbath. It's very powerful because it's all about Jesus, right? Israel actually stumbled on the Sabbath by the increase on the sixth day. When manna came on the sixth day, they had more manna than that was necessary for that day. So they went to Moses and said, Moses, we have more manna today than what is necessary. The Lord said, this is the Sabbath, the rest. Why? God showed that a day is coming where you don't have to work, but the produce is there. Hallelujah. Because the son is coming who will work it out for you where you don't have to work yourself. He is giving a small trailer of a greater rest that Israel did not walk in. 
But you and I have privilege to walk in and rest. Hallelujah. That means in that rest, you refuse to walk. So now in Jesus, he says, without me, you can do nothing. Means don't attempt to labor in this rest. So keep your feet away. Not doing your pleasure. That means don't want to do what you want to do. Okay, look at what. Call the Sabbath a delight. It doesn't say the Sabbath day a delight. Call Sabbath a delight. Hint, hint. Who called from heaven? This is my son in whom I, I delight. That's the same word, delight. Because Sabbath is not a day. It is a person. So when your flesh wants to do stuff, you should say, no, Jesus is my delight. Hallelujah. The finished work of Jesus is my delight. I receive it. Amen. See, you can work all night. You may or may not catch anything. But I'm saying is, I would rather, exactly what Peter did, fully clothed, going towards Jesus. Why? Is his fish a delight? Is the boat a delight? No. The delight is on the shore. And I will go towards the shore. Why? Fish and the boat will follow. Why? The Sabbath is my delight. Jesus is my delight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then you shall, then look, look at this. The holy day of the Lord, honorable. The, look at the way day in this, is it italicized? Is it italicized? Yes. So what does that mean? It is not there. Correct? It's not there in the original. So now let's read it without the italics. Call the Sabbath a delight. We just studied that Jesus is the delight. Then second, the holy of the Lord, honorable. Jesus said, a prophet is with, not without honor except in his own place. Which was the town in Israel that did not receive God's, Jesus' miracles? Nazareth. Why? Because in that place he was not honored. They wanted to work. They thought him as a carpenter. He, they saw him after the? No. Correct. They, they saw him after the flesh. Because he looked like a carpenter, because he must have, you know, he must have had good biceps, because he's a carpenter, he, they have to take wood. He might have a good flesh. So he looked like a carpenter, smelled like a carpenter. Everybody, he looked like a carpenter. So they looked after the flesh, and therefore they received what? Nothing. Nothing. What can a carpenter do? He cannot heal you. So they received after what a carpenter could give. That's it. Nothing. But if they had called him honorable, like Capernaum called him honorable, and they received, what happened? They received in abundance. Hallelujah. Because they were walking in the rest of Yeshua. Amen. Therefore, he called the Holy One honorable. So do you call Jesus honorable in your life? Or do you want to work it out? You have a choice. Call him honorable. If he is going to do all the work, if he is going to get all the glory, let him do all the work. <laughs> if Jesus is going to do, get all the glory, then let him do all the work. And you know what? He's not ashamed to do that. And God wants to get all the glory because he wants to do all the work. Hallelujah. And we can think so proudfully that we can work and get it. That's pride. And I'll talk, I mean, we, we have, do we have time? <laughs> there is, you could, this can break down and it can in so many places, but I want you to at least get a taste of the power that is there in this passage. And look at this. And not, you shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, and finally, not speaking your own words. 
Whose word should you speak if you're going to operate in the Sabbath? The Lord's words. Speak his words. Don't speak your own words. And the Bible says what kind of words you should speak. It's powerful. It says in Isaiah chapter, Isaiah chapter, Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11. Isaiah chapter 28, 28 verse 11. For with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to his people, to whom he said, this is the rest which, which you may cause the weary to rest, this is the refreshing. Now this is, I mean, we don't have time too much to expound, but what Isaiah is saying is the gift of tongues, because you don't have words to operate in the Sabbath, God says, because I don't know, because you don't know what words to speak, right? What, what do you tell a guy who has lived his whole life working with his hands, working with his feet, and earning bread, right? I mean, which is good, right? I mean, your work. But I'm saying is, but because of the curse of Adam, we are always struggling, right? We are always losing, we are always suffering, we are always trying, there's always disease. How do you cleanse your mouth in this new Sabbath that Yeshua has given us? What do you speak, right? I mean, so when I'm a sickness, what do I say? Lord, I'm healed, right? But what more? You know, you, know, you, you really struggle because there is not much words to say because there is not much demand on you to speak. Because what are you going to speak without spouting unbelief? I mean, you, it's very hard. I mean, as a believer, it's a, the, the biggest challenge as a believer that I have is how not to spout unbelief. Because I just am limited by my vocabulary. Like for example, somebody says, Anil, so how is this year looking up? I'm saying, it's looking, it's looking good. <laughs> you know, because, because this is exactly what is going on, right? The business is not great, but I know in Christ Jesus, I'm gonna have a great year, but I'm believing for it because Jesus said that in me, I can do all things. You know, there's so much of that going on at the background, but how do I now tell this guy who's saying, how is this year? What do I say to him? Because I just don't have words to operate in the Sabbath. So God realized that. He said, what I will give you, words. I will give you with a stammering lips and another tongue, I will speak to you. And guess what? That is the rest. Wow, we thought rest was a seizing of some activity. Right, it is. But... It is speaking Yeshua's words in the Holy Spirit is rest. What happens? It activates all the work of God on your behalf. Now, this is, this is so deep. You can, now you can go into so many sessions with this and run with this about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. But this is the reason why the enemy fights gift of tongues like never before. Because he knows this is the rest that God had promised in the old covenant. And he knows that if you start operating in this rest, all the work that God has done on our behalf becomes manifest available to us because it's a rest for the weary. Have you ever thought about it? That is the rest. He's saying, this is the rest for the weary. This is the words I'm going to give you. So he says, just shut up as a believer and stop spouting unbelief. Just shut up and just speak in tongues. You know, every, so anytime you're anxious, right? Why are you anxious? 
Why are you anxious? Anxious because your flesh is itching to get up and walk, right? Why are you anxious? You're anxious because you have incomplete information. Remember we said one of the post cross realities is you have no reason to be sad. Why, do you, why are you sad? Jesus asked Mary Magdalene, why are you sad? Because she had incomplete information. She had information that Jesus is good. She had information that Jesus died for her, but she had incomplete information that Jesus had rose again, right? So many, so what happens in the period where you are still waiting on complete information as a believer, but in the meantime, there are these fears and thoughts and anxious that's building it. God says, speak in tongues. Speak in tongues. Because now you're not speaking whose words? Yeah. Ah, hallelujah. See, how is it getting fulfilled in Isaiah chapter 58? He says, don't speak your own words. Whose words then you should speak? Huh? Yeshua speaks words in the Holy Spirit. So sh just sh hush, hush, and just speak, pray in tongues. You know, I'm like, sometimes I, when, I, when I talk to believers, and I, you know, when we're talking to each other, so many times, you know, and, and we never condemn each other, right? Because we are all growing. What I'm saying is, because we are, we are a small group, you know, sometimes you just shut up and just speak. If you can't speak faith, just speak in tongues, you know? Just speak in tongues. Why? Because you're going to, you're activating the rest that God has promised you in the Sabbath. Guess what? This is what's going to happen. Go back to Isaiah 57. I'm telling you this Isaiah 57 is so, 558 is so powerful. When you do this, verse, chapter 14, verse 14, what happens? Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Wow. When God says something like that, you better take care. He's saying, I have spoken it. Who, who is saying this? Not Isaiah the prophet. Who is saying it? The, the Lord is saying, I have spoken. I will cause you to ride the high hills of the earth. He's not talking about when you reach heaven. He's talking about where? I'll, ride, I'll cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. When you cease to operate, when you cease to labor on your Sabbath. In Yeshua's Sabbath, stop working. Do no work. Do you want to hear a powerful passage? Okay, do you, do you know this verse where it appears in Psalms, where it says, if you delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart, and you always wondered, how do you delight yourself in the Lord? And we just proved it. The way you delight yourself in the Lord is by not working, not speaking, not doing. Wow, I mean, that is totally contrary to what we understood. We always thought that delight yourself in the Lord is, I need to do for the Lord, I need to work for the Lord, I need to do, agreed. Once you rest in Yeshua, all these works that God does will flow through you like water. I'll show you a powerful thing. Lazarus, after he was rose, uh, raised from the dead, do you want to go there? Let's go there. Let's go to, do you, can you pick up uh, the passage where Lazarus was raised from the dead? Uh, which, which gospel is it? I did not mark the reference, but... Okay, so we know John chapter 11, okay? Have, have you read John chapter 12? Uh, 
Hallelujah. Let me, let's talk about Lazarus's ministry, right? We know Lazarus was raised from the dead. Now let, let's read John chapter 12, verse 2, 10, first 10, 1 and 2. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Jesus was, who had already been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 2. There they made him a supper, and who served? Martha served. But, wow. <laughs> the words of the Holy Spirit are not without meaning. Why did the Holy Spirit put the word but? He was emphasizing. He's emphasizing something out here. He's saying, Martha served. Lazarus sat. Let, let, let's let's get, go back here. Now it's very important to get it. Martha served. But Lazarus sat. Now let's see whose ministry was more fruitful, okay? Let's go back. But Lazarus was one who sat at the table with whom? With? Jesus. So here we're talking about this whole Sabbath principle, right? So here is Martha serving Lazarus sitting. So Lazarus is in the Sabbath with Yeshua. Hallelujah. Right? She's not doing anything. What is Lazarus doing? Seriously, what is Lazarus doing? He's sitting and eating food. I mean, he's just chilling. But the key is, he's chilling with whom? He's chilling with Jesus. Chilling with Jesus. Chilling with Jesus. He's chilling with Jesus. You know, the, uh, the other day, the other day, uh, this last Sunday, we had a Bible study in our house. We have on a weekly day, all of it, and we were, we are studying Mark, and children are very impatient because cowboys are playing, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, Dad, can you finish it? Dad, don't go too long, and you know, we know all this, and you know, so he's like, okay, we'll take Mark. No, so, so we're taking about the story where Jesus uh, selected these twelve disciples, and then the Bible says, and it's very funny, he appointed them first of all to be with him. That's how it starts. And then to preach the gospel, to heal the dead. The first verse is what? He appointed them to be with him. That's it. And, we, and it's almost so powerful to miss that. And we jump to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth. It's a, relax. Just be with him. Sit. And shut up. And pray in tongues. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, just sit. Shut up and pray in tongues. I'm telling you, you'll see more miracle and more ministry than you have ever done, right? Guess what happened? Look at here. Uh, where are we? John 12. Okay. But Lazarus was one who sat at the table with him. Then Mary did this. And then one of the disciples, Judas, and blah, blah, blah. We go down. Okay. Verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, what? Not... <laughs> Who is more popular than Jesus? Uh, am I, is, this, is this wrong? There's a problem out here. This is not correct ministry. This is good ministry. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake, but that they may also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Da. I mean, the guy is just, the guy is just got raised from the dead, you know? I mean, how dumb can you get? You're trying to put him to death again? I mean, give up and go to the others, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. 
one more time, you know. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe in that tomb, right? Seriously, you know. And you always think that Lazarus was dead in the tomb how many days? How many days? See, that's wrong. He was there in the tomb four days. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Why? Because the Jews felt that three days the soul can still be hanging around. But God wanted to make it a point. No hanging around. Gone and came back. Four days. Just to make sure. Intentional. It is intentional. Four days. Four days he was in the tomb. Right? That's good revelation. Okay. It's not revelation. It's just uh, trivia. Okay. But they also, that they might also see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Now verse 11. Because on account of whom? Lazarus. Of Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Jesus. How many disciples, how many Jews believed in Jesus because of Martha? We don't know that. Right? But we, we don't know. There would be, you know. But I'm saying is, but because of a sitting Lazarus at the table, when did they believe in Lazarus? No. They believed in Lazarus now. Because they all came to see, is this real? We heard that Lazarus has been raised from the dead. So a lot of people came from the surrounding Judea. Remember, Judea was the place which was the most unfriendly to Jesus' ministry. Even Jesus did not get disciples from Judea. He had to keep going back to Galilee to get his disciples. Because these guys, every time he passed by Judea, they were counting stones. You know, they were gathering stones. Every time he was there, they were like wanting to kill him, wanting to plot him, like, kill him, kill him. I mean, he's like, I'm done, man. I'm going to Capernaum, you know. You know, so he was constantly going to Galilee because he was more welcome there. And that's how Jesus is. He's like, okay, you don't want me. The disciples say, we'll, we'll throw fire. No, 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 just let, let it go. The time of fire is coming one day, right? The day of vengeance is coming. But right now, acceptable year, right? You push me out from here, I will go somewhere else. And which is what he did. But more disciples became believers because of Lazarus. What? A sitting Lazarus. He seated with Jesus, had a tremendous ministry. Hallelujah. Because who are we to judge, right? Who did work, Martha or Lazarus? But I definitely know that a sitting Lazarus did more for the kingdom of God than all the serving that anybody else could do. Hallelujah. Because the labor, is work is done. He's the, Jesus said, I have called you to enter into the labors of others. Hallelujah. When we have that mindset, the fish will come. Hallelujah. The fish will come. The fully clothed Peter jumping off the boat towards Jesus with a boatload of fish following him is an unusual picture of fishing. That never happens. Fully clothed in the water towards Jesus. Fishermen go towards the sea, not towards the shore. But fish follow you in the boat. Fully clothed is Sabbath. Say Sabbath. That's, that's the rest that you're supposed to walk in. Hallelujah. So he says, this is the rest. Okay, let, let me go to uh, uh, Jeremiah. Uh, there's so much stuff, but uh, it's, it's so exciting that I think we just need to take it in and then run with it. Okay, uh, let's let, let go to Jeremiah chapter 17. 
Okay, let's go to Psalms 37. Remember this verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of our heart. If God's word is consistent, like if God's word is consistent that we studied in Isaiah chapter 58 that delight yourself in the Lord is the only way you can delight yourself in the Lord is when you stop working. When you stop doing what you're supposed to do and rest in Yeshua. If, if it is consistent, it should mean the same thing in Psalms, right? Where that verse occurs. Amen? Okay, let's go back and check. Psalms chapter 37. Psalms chapter 37. Psalms chapter 37. Okay. Verse 4. What does it say? Okay. Okay. Now let's understand the context. Here it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How do you do it? Let's read the next verses. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. The emphasis is he. Next. He shall bring your righteousness as the light. Wow. I've heard this before. Isaiah chapter 58. That means God is going to bring his righteousness for us. Amen. Next verse. And your justice as the noonday. Verse 7. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Amen. You know the word rest in this is not the word. There are a couple of words for rest, right? One is uh, noach. The same word noah. Noah means rest. Noach. Menucha means the dwelling place, the place of rest. Remember the Bible says they did not enter their resting place. Menucha, menu, menu, place. Noach is rest. Menucha, place of rest. Noach, Noah in the Hebrew is rest. Okay, interesting. The first place grace is mentioned in the Bible is Noach found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When you rest is when you receive the grace, the undeserved grace of God in the eyes of God. When you rest, Noach, first time. Remember the law of first mention in the Bible. Anytime a word is mentioned the first time in the Bible, that is the way you need to interpret the rest in the Bible. That is a good indication of what God intended that word to be. Rest. Noach found grace. Rest finds grace. Say rest finds grace. And that's what he said. He will work it out for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And there. So what? So uh, it says. Okay. So the point being is word. the word rest. Okay. So there are. A couple of words for rest, right? One is rest as in Noach, which is the real rest. The Sabbath rest. And you will see this all throughout the Bible, hidden in the Old Testament, revealed in the New. Hebrews chapter 9, 10, we'll talk about a whole chapter of rest. He said, Jesus is the rest. The rock is the rest. The, you know, we studied about that. Jesus is our dwelling place. You stand on the rock and you don't move and stuff like that. The other word is be still. It means don't move. Don't speak. That is the rest out here. He's not talking about uh, Noah. He's talking about the, the still as in cease. Just, just stand. Don't move. And that is the verse that the same word that is used here. The same word is used where God told Israel, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord when he divided the Red Sea. 
It's powerful. In fact, you should read it in the Hebrew. It is so powerful. It says, and the word still is not there, right? The, the, the translators put the word still because he's differentiating the standing as in, the, this is the Hebrew. The Hebrew stand means don't move. Means position yourself. Position yourself. Just say position. position. Stand. And that is the same verse that Paul says in Ephesians, having done all to stand. stand. Your, your job is not to get up and walk. Go and do something on your own. Just Stand. I mean, so, so you would say, Anil, I, I received this promise long time back, but God, I don't see it manifestation. I'm waiting on it. What does the psalm says? How do you delight yourself in the Lord? Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him and fret not. In the meantime, fret not means don't speak. Don't speak wickedness. Don't speak. And he says in Isaiah chapter 58, he says, stop the pointing of fingers. He's talking about the same passage of rest. Why, when do you point fingers? Because in a time of rest, you're trying to say you are not doing your part. <laughs> you know, the only time you point fingers is because you are not doing your part. And God says, exactly. I don't want you to do your part. I want, allow me to do my part. I am doing, I am doing a work that you will not believe. And you want to do your part? So stop pointing fingers at each other, at spouses. Why do you point fingers at your spouse? Because you expect he or him to do something that you wanted him to do. Why? Because you're not entered into the rest of Yeshua. Because if he's already finished the work, then you just rest in it, hallelujah. You rest patiently. You say, no, Lord, I waited 15 years. But you know what? Maybe it is just next week. Where is the breakthrough, hallelujah? Hallelujah, it could be just the next week, but wait patiently, but it's going to happen. Sometimes when you have decided to enter into your rest, your miracle just appears. All that God was waiting for is for you to just rest, because in the meantime, he cannot help you, because you're... Remember, when did Paul, God, Jesus uh, stop Peter from uh, uh, striving all night? In the, uh, in the third hour? In the fourth hour in the night? In the fifth hour? In the sixth hour? In the third watch? In the first watch, when did uh, Jesus appear to stop Peter from uh, engaging in futile fishing? Huh? When, when it was time for? When, when did he stop him? He did not stop him. That is the answer. He did not stop him. But when did Jesus appear to him? Morning. Morning. When? What time? For breakfast. Why? Because that's all, that's all he wanted, right? See, <laughs> I mean, that's all he wanted, right? I mean, he just wanted breakfast. So Jesus said, okay, there is breakfast. It's on the shore. There is fish and there is loaves. So Peter is like, duh. So all night long, I am here out in the water and there is fish already there, bread out there. What am I doing? Precisely, what are you doing? Go and sleep at home, you know? So, but Jesus says, hey, it looks like you have a new hobby. You love fishing. So get him fish. You know, just like I said, you know, if, if you love fish, fish will come. Doesn't mean to me whether you want to eat fish. I just love fish. I'm going to catch and <laughs> catch. What they call Texans have this stupid hobby called ca catch and release. I don't understand. Why do you catch and release? <laughs> I catch and I release. Okay. Americans have pastime, right? Catch and release. You know, that's what happens when you don't have work, right? <laughs> you catch and release. So what I'm saying is, 
you love catch and release, God will give you catch and release. What I'm saying is allow him to do it. So the point being is rest in the Lord. Let's go back to, let's go to this. And we are not going to cover all this. Uh, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. <clears throat> so, uh, I really, uh, I really desire that if you all can go and whenever you time, you know, to kind of break down on these passages and go back and see because this is, it's like the master key in your life of productivity. You can waste time and toil all night or you can choose to ride the high hills of the earth. Wow. I mean, seriously, God can make you millionaires, multi-billionaires, whatever you want. You want to be effective in ministry. You want to grow. I mean, God is going to create an influence of your life if you, you can see this master key. If you are entering into the Sabbath, you refuse to do the stuff like that. You refuse to speak the words. You, you refuse to walk. You, you, you don't even know what... I mean, did Lazarus even had an imagination of the influence that he would have in Judea? He had no influence. All he does was sat. And all accounted to him. All he, because, because his assignment was to sit. And he sat. And he heard the voice. He, I mean, there was, he, he would have seen his sister struggling and serving. And so there would have been something in his boy, flesh. Hey, go and help your sister. But heaven's mandate for Lazarus was sit next to Jesus. Because all of Judea is here to see you. So when they come here and they don't see uh, Lazarus in the living room. Guess where Lazarus is? In the kitchen, helping Martha. Doing a good thing, but not effective. Because there's a lot of crowd who came and said, hey, is, La is Lazarus in? No, we don't see Lazarus. Oh, so he must have died again. You know? So, so but, hey, Lazarus, everybody can see Lazarus. What? Because it's important that he's seated with Jesus in the living room that time. Dinner can wait. Hallelujah. But ministry, for him, that ministry was sitting with Jesus. And important. It's powerful. Just think about it. The assignment that you're missing by not sitting with Jesus. In fact, the greatest message, in fact, Peter and, J Peter and John raised the lame man in the temple of uh, Jerusalem and then and they, the, uh, they all wanted to catch him and capture him and he, Peter spoke very boldly and finally they said then they realized that they were all being with Jesus. That's how they knew. How, how did this guy get so much boldness? How is he doing all this thing? Then they suddenly clicked him. They were with Jesus. right? Because with Jesus you can do great things. In your flesh you can do nothing. Oh, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 17. Okay, here, now this is a very powerful passage on the Sabbath, very powerful. It says, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 19. And says, the Lord said to me, go and stand in the gate of the children of uh, the people by which the kings of Judah come in and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say to them, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 21, take heed to yourself and bear no burden. Say, bear no burden. Bear no burden. Okay, next verse. Nor bring it in. Say, bring it in. Okay, then, then verse 22, nor carry a burden out. Say, nor carry it out. 
Okay, then see the other one. Verse 24. And if you heed me carefully to bring no burden through the gates of the city of the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work. Say, do no work. Say, do no work. Do no work. Do no work. Okay, so there are three instructions to Israel. He says, bear no burden, nor bring it in, nor carry it out, nor do any work. Then what will happen? If you do this, means you don't enter the gates. You don't, you just on the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is a picture of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. We just studied that. So he says, in the Sabbath, you refuse to do no work. I mean, you just kind of decide, I will do no work. Now, what work? He's not talking about your, your actions that you need to do. He's saying, refuse to operate in my flesh. That is work. Operate, I refuse to operate in my flesh for something. I refuse. I just absolutely refuse. I refuse. I do no work. I bear no burden. Remember, the, the workers in the vineyard, they came and complained to Jesus and said, we, why did you not give us? We, we bore the burden of the day. And Jesus said, all those who are heavy, burden, come to me. Because I don't want you to bear burden. Because my yoke is easy and my, my labor is light. Hallelujah. Because he's saying, the, in my Sabbath, your burden and your labor is light. Because I am doing it. It is I on the other side of the yoke. A yoke, remember, a, there is, a yoke is never. We see a yoke of, it's always two. There is two people on a yoke. There are two oxen on a yoke. If one is carrying all the load, obviously it's going to be light for you. Hallelujah. Who is on the other side of the yoke? Jesus. What is he doing? Sitting. sitting. When one yoke is sitting, one ox is sitting, the other is standing. Who bears the burden? Standing. The standing one. But if you sit when he sits, guess what? Lazarus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he's seated, I'm seated. So bear no burden, nor carry it out, nor carry it in, and do no work, if it is not clear to you. <laughs> right? God is like, do no work. Say, do no work. Do no work. I know this is like blasphemy to some of you all. Like, what do you mean you're stopping making us lazy guys, lazy Christians? No. I mean, I, I, I hope you get the point. I'm not telling you to stop working. I'm saying is, shut up and pray in tongues. <laughs> I think if you get that today, I think that, will, that is the rest that is God has promised you to the very. Shut up and pray in tongues, you know. When your flesh wants to work, when your flesh wants to speak, just shut up and speak in tongues. Okay, now look at this. Then if you do this, if you do this, what will happen? God promised something. Then he says, then, verse 25, I know all of you all to read this. Then shall enter the gates of the city kings and princes doing what? Sitting. <laughs> this is so funny. This is, I mean, if, if Jesus, Bible is not scientific, right? In a sense that because of pictures, I mean, this is just not possible. How do you enter sitting? <laughs> because that's how it is. It's not logical. In faith world, it is not logical. Fish appears in the wilderness, right? How do Fish appears in the sea, but in Jesus, feeding the 5,000, fish appears in the wilderness. Because it's not logical. Because in faith, nothing is logical, but it happens, right? He says, then if you do this, if you bear no burden, you don't walk out, you don't come in, you don't do something, what happens? You will come in. How? Sitting. How do you come in? 
as kings and princes. You will come in sitting. Hallelujah. You will come in sitting on the throne of David. Riding in chariots and on horses. They and their princes. And this city will remain for how long? Forever. If you operate in your Sabbath, you will ride in, you will come into your inheritance. How? Sitting. Sitting on what? No. First, man, first. Sitting on what? On the throne of David. That is the throne of Jesus Christ. That is why he said we are seated with him in heavenly places. Every victory that you have is done sitting. Say sitting. 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 Sitting on his throne. Even when the elders are around the throne in Revelation, what does it say? Are they standing? No. Lamb sitting. In the midst of the throne, they are sitting. Seated. You will enter in sitting. You will enter in sitting. It's a promise. It's a promise. Just like Isaiah 58, it closes by saying, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's like guaranteed. I am saying it is done. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. You shall stand. You shall enter sitting. It's powerful. It's powerful. Stand. Stand. And uh, yeah, if go to uh, 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 and if you, if you ever, ever get a chance, go back to uh, channel. I don't have too much of uh, time, but we can quickly go. Second Chronicles chapter twenty, verse seventeen. Second Chronicles chapter twenty. Second Chronicles chapter twenty. Twenty, verse seventeen. Look at that Sabbath principle. The prophet comes and there's a huge battle that is going to happen. Jehoshaphat, the armies are completely gone. And look at this passage. Verse 17. You will not, you will not to fight in this battle. Guess what? Don't move. Position yourself. Same word. Same word in the Hebrew. Stand still. Cease. Rest. Stand still. Look at the word stand still. The word still is not there. Stand. Just stand. And see the Yeshua of Yahweh. Wow. That's how the Hebrew reads. That means stand still and see Jesus. Stand still and see Jesus. So in every challenge of yours, stand still and see Jesus. See Jesus. Stand still and see Jesus. I mean, says. But this looks stupid. I mean, do I, do, do I spend more time in the Word, spending time instead of working? You know what? Stand still and see Jesus. It doesn't make sense, but feed on Him. Just see Him in that area. Money will flow. Peter clothed, swam towards... I do, the Bible does not even say that he swam. <laughs> Today I was checking that. It says he plunged into the sea. The next scene, he's at the shore. Who wonder who swam? Because it's a, it's a hard job swimming with your outer garments in. I mean, how do you jump in? How do you, you know the Jewish outer garments, right? How do you swim in that? But the Bible doesn't even say swim. It says he plunged in. Next verse, he went on the, he's on the shore pulling the boat back. Who knows what happened? One day when we see Peter, Peter, can you go back and tell you how did you swim in that? No, because the Bible says at many places when Jesus is in the boat, the boat is at the shore. Things happen. Okay, in the Sabbath, you don't have to fight. 
You do not have to fight. Stand still and see Yeshua. Same verse in Exodus. Stand still and see the Yeshua of Yahweh. Wow. That's, we see where Jesus is in the Old Testament. There it is. Stand still and see Jesus. Wow, it's powerful. Stand still and see Jesus. We, we were talking about uh, Noah. And uh, before I forget, in Noah found rest. That's the first time. Uh, Noah found grace. The first time in the Bible where the mention, grace is mentioned. The Bible says, who found rest? The one, who found grace? The one who is rested. If you want to receive the undeserved favor of the Lord, which is what grace is, right? Undeserved favor. Favor that you don't deserve. Yes, you don't deserve it. Yes, don't feel guilty about it. Hallelujah. You won't deserve. You don't want favor that you deserve. You don't want to toil it out for what you deserve. You say, undeserved favor. Hallelujah. If you can receive this in your spirit right now, those that have shut for long is going to fly wide open for you. Hallelujah. Because you were just waiting to enter into the rest of Yeshua, you refused to move your feet. You said, I will see Jesus in this. I will see Jesus. When, is it, the Bible says, when God told Noah to uh, make the ark, when Noah was in the ark, the Bible says, and go back and see Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. He says, Cover it inside and out with pitch. That's how the Bible reads, right? You know how the Hebrew reads? Cover is ve kaparta. Kaparta. Say kaparta. Kaparta is the same word called atonement. Cover means atonement. And then he cover it with pitch. You know what's the word for pitch there? It called copper. Copper is means uh, copper. Copper is bark. copper. Bark copper means. Guess what? We we the English word is translated as pitch. Correct. Remember the he says cover inside and out. He cover the word in Hebrew is atonement, and the word pitch is what you know ransom. Ransom. Pitch means ransom, copper, which is the same word, copper, atonement, ransom, bribe. It's word as used for bribe. That means inside and out. So when Noah was in the ark, all he was seeing all around, down, feet, side, up, down. What, what was he seeing? Huh? What was he seeing? Ransom, atonement, atonement. Everywhere he's seeing atonement. Same word, same word is used for atonement. Why? Because it's atoned for. Your rest is paid for, purchased for, ransomed for, bribed, paid. It's like God wanted an appeasement. It's the same word, copper. Means this bitch is called copper, ransom. He says, God wanted a ransom. In Jesus, this ransom is paid for. So refuse to work. Don't try to earn it. Let me, let me go to I do, I, 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 let me go to this. Let's go to this. Isaiah chapter 28. It's powerful because I don't want to close without that. Isaiah chapter 20, uh, 28. Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. Remember the same passage where we said that the, uh, with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to these people. This is the rest that God has promised. We just said tongues is, is the rest in your Sabbath. Amen? That same passage, keep going down. Verse 16. Thus says the Lord. Now he's talking to Israel. He says Israel refuses to get into this rest. 
They don't want to enter into this rest. They want to create their own stuff. He says, behold, I will lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious stone, a cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes on it will not act hastily. I will make justice the measuring line, the righteousness the plummet, and the hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it, and as often and it will take you out by morning by morning it will pass over and by day and night it will be a terror just to understand the report for and this is the conclusion of this verse 20 for say for, for. the bed is too short to stretch out and the covering so narrow that it cannot wrap himself okay the conclusion of the whole thing is the bed is too short and the covering is so narrow. What? What is he talking about? What is this Isaiah prophet? What is God saying? He's saying your righteousness on, apart from Christ Jesus is like a bed that is too short and a covering that is so narrow that you cannot even cover yourself. So when you refuse to walk in your Sabbath, in your rest, and when you try to walk with your own efforts, it's like a bed that is short. It's like a cover that is too narrow. You can't cover yourself. You're like, have you ever slept in a bed in a hotel room or a motel room where your feet is jetting out? I mean, it is very uncomfortable. I mean, it's like, man, relax. Where is a bigger bread? Or if, I, I know, we do, we are, most of us from the Indian subcontinent, we, have, we are already sh short, right? I mean, American breads are pretty big enough for us, right? But have you thought about a twin bed sheet, bed sheet that you take in and you, want, you and your wife want to use it in winter? Guess what happens? Seriously? She, she, <laughs> she is good. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a secret for a great marriage. She takes it. She takes it, right? Because it's not enough. That cover is not enough. He says, you know, when Israel says, no, 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 I can make it on my own. Uh, I, my righteousness is enough. He says, you know what? I am going to put a stone in the middle of Israel. And Jesus was the stone. He says, measure it. You can measure so if you, he says, he who believes will not act hastily. Means what? If you think that you're righteous, relax, relax. Before you jump and tell me that you're righteous, go and measure yourself against the stone. Don't, don't jump. Like many times in, as a believer, we're like, no, no, this I can do it. This, this I know. This, this is like fishing. This is like, I've done this. You know, no, no, don't act hastily. Measure it against the stone. The stone is perfect, right? So do you want to come with your stone or do you want this stone? I'll take this stone. I don't want to come with my bed. I can only come with my, my sheet. My bed is too short. My sheet is too narrow. I cannot make it on my own. It's powerful. It's powerful. This, this week I was, I was looking in my quiet time, this passage on the temple of Ezekiel. How many of you have read that temple vision of Ezekiel? Ezekiel chapter 40, right? Ezekiel chapter 40, a multiple chapters is full of the description of this temple. And if you've gone back, it is powerful revelation. He, this, it, the vision appears to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 40 with a revelation of a man in bronze, which is a sign of? Bronze is a sign of? Judgment. It's like he's come to judge. And he has in his hands a flax 
uh, flax line, which is a plummet, plummet. And he has a measuring rod. And he's come to measure the temple. And then the rest of the passages is all, chapter, you go back and read, is all about he's measuring this, he's measuring that, he's measuring the threshold, he's measuring. What is he measuring? What does that show? He's saying that I am going to measure this perfect temple. And I'm going to say that, and then he finally concludes by saying, this is the law of the temple. The law, the, the, the temple and all the surrounding areas is holy. That means nobody can come on this temple by any gate unless you are perfect. You're perfect. So this is the stone. He says, this is the stone. I'm measuring, I'm measuring, I'm measuring. I'm measuring, and I'm measuring, I'm measuring, I'm measuring. And I never understood this passage for the longest time. This, this week, I was like, Lord says, why am I putting this passage? Why, am I, why, why is this guy measuring? Because he's measuring that this temple can, no man can enter. Hallelujah. Because it's perfect. It cannot enter. So anybody who wants to enter, this like Isaiah chapter 28, he's saying somebody thinks that they can enter because they're holy. He says, I'm going to bring in the stone and says, measure it out. If you can do it, it'll prove. Then guess what? In one of the passages, go back to Ezekiel, Isaiah chapter 28. Look at uh, verse 17. Sorry. It, Isaiah chapter 20, sorry, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 40, sorry, Ezekiel 40. Jesus appears in this temple suddenly. Ezekiel 20. Ezekiel 40 verse, Ezekiel 40, chapter 40 verse, okay, okay, let me get this correct. Ezekiel chapter 43 verses 1 to 8. Ezekiel chapter 43 Verses 1 to 8. Look at this. Afterward, he brought me to the temple, the gate that faces toward the east, and behold, the glory of the Lord enters. Now we know that. Okay. And then the spirit of the, and the glory of the, verse 4, glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate which faces towards the east. Verse 5, the spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then verse 6, look at Jesus appearing. And then I heard speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. And he said to me, look at the word he, H, he, H is capital. Right? It's not a man. It is Jesus. And, he's, he, G, and he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne. And the place of the soles of my feet. And where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the children of house of Israel defile my holy place. And then look at this. verse 8. Look at how they defile the holy place. When they set their threshold by my threshold, their doorpost by my doorpost, and their wall between them and me, they have defiled my holy name. Guess what? What did Israel do? Israel does not, cannot enter this temple because this temple is holy. So they have built a doorpost next to the doorpost of Jesus and says, I will enter in through my own gate. I will enter in through my own threshold. I will enter in through this. And Jesus says, they have defiled. And Jesus says, you cannot. That is why, you remember in this, in this vision, how many of you know that the eastern gate in, uh, through the sanctuary is closed right now? You know why it is closed? Because the Bible says, close, in the same vision, he says, close the gate. Because the Lord has entered it. And no one can enter in. Why? Because when you enter the gate, 
that means you need to be righteous. No man is righteous enough to enter through the gate. So what Israel did is they made their own gate. And they wanted to set it up by themselves. So when you don't rest in the finished work of the perfect work of Jesus, and you are trying to strive in your works, you are making a gate for yourself and trying to get in. And you cannot enter in the gate. Jesus was so clear. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, he says, the Greek is powerful. He says, agonize. That's the word he says. Agonize to enter in by the gate. Very few can enter in. Wow. Nobody can enter in through the gate to the sanctuary. But at the same time, then he said, I am the door of the sheep. Everybody can enter in through me. He who enters in through me will go in and find pasture. In this vision of Ezekiel, how did Ezekiel then get into the Holy of Holies? How did he get in without going through the gate? How did he get in? Correct. What does it say? The Spirit of the Lord lifted him up and brought him where? Into the Holy of Holies. How? Without going in through the gate. Why? That is the only way that we walk in and operate in in our rest. Through the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. You don't walk in by being righteous in through the gate that you cannot make in. That gate is closed. Believers, let me tell you. That eastern gate is closed. You cannot enter in. Only the Son of God could do it. And no one else can enter in. Nobody can enter in. It's perfect. That's why it's a sure foundation in Zion. Nobody can enter in. But you can enter in by the Spirit of God. Jesus is the door. There's a distinction between the door and the gate. You can never enter in through the gate. That's why the Bible psalmist in 118 verse says, open the gates of righteousness. Why? Jesus opened it. Hallelujah. He opened it. He opened it. And in the Psalms 118, I don't have time to go. He says, this is the gate of the Lord. And the next verse, he says, bind the sacrifice to the altar. And that was fulfilled when Jesus walked into Jerusalem on a donkey. When they saw, when the prophets saw that, when David saw that in the vision, he saw Jesus walking into the gates of Jerusalem and he said in Psalms 118, that is the gate. Wow, it's powerful. Jesus is the gate. And then suddenly, uh, David suddenly has a different vision. And suddenly he says, bind that, bind that sacrifice to the horn. Wow, he's like, at one point he calls him the gate, and the other point he calls him the sacrifice. Why? Why? Unless the gate would not become a sacrifice, you cannot enter in too. Hallelujah. Bind. Therefore, the gates of righteousness will open. Hallelujah. Why? Because coming back to the whole point of the rest, Jesus is your rest. You have to stand still. Stay away from moving your foot on the Sabbath. Let Jesus do it. Let Jesus do it. Confess, speak his words, speak his words. And there are a lot of other verses, we'll do it. But we don't have time. Hallelujah. And let me close with this. And uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes, goes through this whole passage, chapter five, Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7. And he's exalting the law. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Then he says, you, you think you, you, you have a plank, uh, plank in your, uh, you have a splinter in your brother's eye. Look at the plank in your eye. I mean, he is like, this exactly is a fulfillment. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is a fulfillment of Isaiah 28. The sure foundation. The, he is, he's, he's the hail. <laughs> he's the hail that is destroying their house of refuge. 
You know what? Because Isaiah 28 says Israel is made of nice house, of refuge, of lies, thinking that they are righteous. And God says, I'm going to bring hail and destroy their refuge of lies. Where did that refuge, where did that hail appear? You know where? Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. And a lot of believers thinking that Sermon on the Mount is for you and I. Seriously, Sermon on the Mount is for the Jews who are living righteously in Israel because they have made a refuge of lies, thinking they are righteous. And the refuge and the hail comes and destroys them completely because now Jesus gives them a, a level of law that they're never used to. They say, you think you're committing adultery because you slept with a woman? I tell you, you are committing adultery if you have sinned, if you have lusted in, with, no, he's like exalting it. Why? Because he is the sure foundation against which now God is going to judge. And suddenly they are without any defense, right? So now, now they're pathetic. At the end of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, if as a believer you have read it, you don't know, the standards are so high you can never make it, right? And then finally Jesus concludes by saying, and saying guess what? What, are, what am I saying this? What am I saying? And this is in that passage he says, go, 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 go ahead. Try entering through the gate. That's what he says. It's impossible. In fact, in Luke chapter, another verse, he says, uh, a guy comes up and asks Jesus, Lord, are you saying that there are very few people who are being saved? He said, okay, let me give you a parable. And then he goes and gives them a whole parable about, um, he gives a parable about whether few people are saved. He says that, said, many will come from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and they will eat with me, but you yourself will be thrown out. You will be like, you will knock at the door. See, after Jesus has come the second time, a lot of people will believe in Jesus because now they will see, oh, this is, this is Jesus. They, now they'll knock at the door. See, that is the door right now. Jesus is the door right now. Stop looking at the gate. Go to the door. Jesus is the door. You can walk in. Now that door is going to be closed very soon, just like Noah's door was closed, right? It was closed, but that door is going to be closed. But he says, is there very few people in Jesus? He says, it's possible. And then finally, the disciples' response to Jesus is like, Lord, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Nobody can enter through this gate. Nobody can be righteous. Nobody can fulfill Matthew 5, 6, 7, and 8. Who then can be saved? Jesus makes a statement. He said, with God, it is impossible. But, but with men, it is impossible. Men, it is? Impossible. So with men, it is? Impossible. With men it is? Impossible. With, with men it is slightly possible? No. It says, what is impossible with men? What is impossible with men? No. Yeah, that is correct because you heard the message. But I'm saying, what is impossible with men? To be saved. Disciples' question is, so will anybody be saved? Jesus responds, with men it is? So with men it is? It is impossible for man to be saved. Why? Eastern gate is shut. Give me, let me give you two examples. The Samaritan woman refused to look for a gate, went for the door. The rich young man was looking for a gate. He wanted to come in through his righteousness, and he did not get it. Because that gate is narrow. In fact, Jesus, after the end of this ex explanation with the rich man, he said, it's hard, it's hard for a rich man through an eye of a needle. It's like going, what does it say? It's easier. It's easier. 
for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to go with his goods. Rich man, rich, so point guaranteed, refuge of lies is gone, right? That hail has come. Isaiah 28, hail has arrived, <laughs> you know? You cannot get in. Into this kingdom you cannot, but how do you receive it? Okay, the point being, at the end of this whole beatitude sermon, Jesus finally says this is something. Then he makes it beautiful, and this is so powerful. This is so powerful. Jesus finally says to the disciples and to everybody who's hearing, and he says, I told you all this, right? I mean, I'm exalting the law. You cannot make it, right? Then he finally makes a thing. If you, which of you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, won't the heavenly Father give things to you, those who ask? Suddenly, he suddenly shifted the whole gears and he says what? He says, ask. Ask what? Ask it like a? No. Ask it like a, ask this gift of salvation as a gift. Don't ask it like a right. Ask it like a gift. That is why in the Samaritan woman, when the Samaritan came and Jesus says, give me a drink. Jesus and the, said, how can I give you? See, now he's fo she's focused on the works. She says, the well is deep, right? Salvation is hard, right? The well is deep. The, the I don't have I don't the you don't have a you don't have a pot you don't have a water pot how do I get it you know she's looking at flesh and Jesus says what if only you knew who is asking you for a drink what would you do you would ask and what would you get you would get the gift of no he said if you only knew the gift of God see that's the key say gift. When you ask Jesus for the salvation as a gift, you bypass the gate and go through the door. Hallelujah. The same thing that the rich man could not get, the rich young ruler, the Samaritan guy, lady God, because she asked it like a, yes, he said, ask. So let me conclude with the whole thing. The whole point of the whole message today is this. Do not work. Ask. Ask. Whatever you want in your life, ask and then rest. Say ask. 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 Just ask. Just ask. How does Philippians chapter, we all know, be not anxious for anything. What does it say? Be anxious for anything. Who knows that verse? It's Philippians 4 verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. So be anxious for nothing. That means don't operate in your flesh, right? Don't be anxious. Do what? Prayer and supplication means what? Ask. Request be known. Very high glorified language to say? Ask. Ask it like a gift. And how do you ask it? With thanksgiving. Believe that you have received it. That's how you rest. Hallelujah. So are you struggling in some area of your life that you need a breakthrough? You're struggling because we are working. You got a picture? Are you struggling because you're working? Look at that. Because you're not in your Sabbath. Can a believer work? Yes, Peter worked all night. First watch, second watch, third watch. Breakfast time, da, Sabbath on the seashore. That's it. Are you working? Are you anxious in some area of your life? Because you're working. So you always have to associate anxious work, struggling work, fearful work. You're working. You're working. Do you want to ride the high hills of earth? Rest. 
Stand still, turn your feet. Don't work, ask. Ask it like a gift. I mean, we covered so much of passages, but I really wish we could do more justice because there are so much more deeper that we can go, and we'll, we'll explore it in some of the other days. But I'm saying in your, in your Bible study, look at this foundation that Jesus is doing. Labor not, labor not. We studied with Isaiah chapter 58, how this fast, this is the fast that I've chosen. What fast? The seven fast, seven, to loosen the bondages, to bring the poor into your house, to clothe the naked. What? All this all. Sabbath rest. And Jesus fulfilled in Isaiah chapter 61. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to... You know what? Jesus records seven miracles on a Sabbath in the Gospels, exactly matching the seven uh, aspects of rest in Isaiah chapter 58. Seven, exactly, same number. Seven miracles on a Sabbath. Seven miracles. Point being, Jesus is your Sabbath. Don't work. Don't work. Don't labor. Don't labor. Labor is not a good word for Jesus. No, it's not. But when you rest in Jesus, the works that come out and flow out of you will, will prosper. It will remain. That fruit will remain. That fruit will remain. Just as in Peter's, that net, the net that he caught a large fish after Jesus gave him the words, what happened? That net never broke. Never broke. Your fruit will remain. Your fruit will remain. Say, my fruit will remain. Now, you operate in rest. The way you operate in rest is seek words, not flesh. Seek words. Seek words. Seek the words of God. Lord, in this area, Lord, what's your word? What's your promise? Lord, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to confess it. When I don't have words, I will, I'll speak in tongues. If I'm fearful, in that area, Lord, give me words. In that area, give me words to live by. Oh, you are having anybody feel having a financial problem? Lord, give me words for my finance and then start seeing Jesus. Stand still and see Yeshua. Can you stand still and see Yeshua as the king of the earth? The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. That's the Old Testament phrase of saying billions of dollars in all the world is mine. Because in those days, cattle was the common use, uh, measure of wealth. When Jesus says, cattle on the thousand hills is mine, Silver and gold is mine. What does he say? Prosperity and victory, all is mine. And I will cause you to write. I'm telling you, this is powerful. If you can have a revelation of the rest that you're supposed to walk in. Hallelujah. So don't labor. Don't be anxious. Catch yourself laboring. God helps those who? No. That is not right, right? That is not right. God helps those who do not help themselves is the gospel. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. If you want to help yourself, go for it. But in fact, as a believer, without Christ, you can do nothing. As an unbeliever, you could do some things. But sorry, as a believer. <laughs> you know, that's why you see some of the believers, after they accept Jesus, they, they are more in trouble than they have before. <laughs> Because now they have a corrupted gospel, right? Because they have this works mentality with the gospel. And it destroys their life, right? Because it's mixed. Mixture is more dangerous. That's why Jesus told, told the church of Laodicea, I wish that you were either hot or cold. He's really saying, seriously, I just wish you were cold. You know, At least you would prosper in the world. <laughs> I could come in. I could tell you. But now you are like mixed. I don't know what to do. You know, I will spit you out. 
He's really talking about this, a generation of believers who try to live by works, who create a threshold by his threshold when he's perfect, who want to come in through the gate when he says, I am the door. <laughs> Where has Jesus said, I am the gate? No, he said, I am the door. And in the door, and he says the parable, he says, multitudes from east and west will come and sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So guess what? Are there few that will be saved? What is the answer? No. A multitude will be saved because they came in through the door. Hallelujah. We'll do a passage study on the door and the gate. It's powerful. It's powerful. But this is the, this is the gospel. The gospel is, for a believer, is, what is the gospel? We already are saved, right? But we, we can trust God for the, the toughest thing, the impossible thing that we could never get, salvation. But we can't trust God for the other things because we have learned a trade. We have, we have been a fisherman. We have been an accountant. We have been an orator. We have been a spokesman. We, you know, we, those are areas of our strength. And, we, and you fail in those areas because without Jesus, you will struggle. So you have a choice, right? We are all going to be saved. We are not cursed, right? We are all going to be saved. But you can decide to struggle during the night watches of your life when you don't need to. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. And we'll, 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 we'll have communion right now also. Somebody can. Hallelujah. Nothing better than to... Uh, the communion is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And we'll do a session on communion. There's so much stuff on communion that we need to know. We need to know, especially in these days, right? But what does the communion represents? Communion represents the Sabbath of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus. You don't have to struggle in your life. In your health, you don't have to. The Bible says many are sick and die early because they have not discerned the body of Jesus Christ. What is discern the body? Discern the body is discerning the Sabbath of Jesus Christ. That on his body, he has paid it. Don't try to pay it yourself again. Don't try to pay it. Okay, there is Ebola in Dallas. Who cares? I am not paying it again, right? Did Jesus suffer Ebola? He did. He did. So he, I'm not going to suffer it because I believe in the Sabbath. Stand still. Don't be moved by these uh, news reports. Don't be moved. Don't speak those words in your mouth, right? Don't, don't be moved. Stand still and see what? See Yeshua. How do you see Yeshua? When you take communion, you see Yeshua's bo broken body. The Bible says the moment you receive, you see, you discern, not the blood. This is the distinction that you need to make in the communion. The moment you distinguish, discern the body of Jesus Christ, health flows into you. See, remember the blood is already paid for our sins. Our salvation is secure. Whether you take communion or not, your eternal salvation, your spirit is secure. But your health is an ever-present ever need. Why? Because your spirit is new, is always saved. But your body is an unredeemed body. While you are in this unredeemed body, this is the secret sauce. He says, keep discerning my body. Because every day discern the body. Take communion as often as you can. That's why Jesus said as often. Why? In the new heaven, you don't need communion, right? Because you have a new body. We are partaking of Jesus. But here you do for your body. 
So take, come in, discern the body. So when you take the bread, remember, discern it. This is the body that Jesus paid for all my sickness and disease and everything that I need for my life here. Amen? And then when you take your blood, uh, the blood is powerful. One of the doctors called Dr. Gray, he was a missionary to Liberia. He caught Ebola and he got treated. And guess what? He got healed. They treated him with an experimental drug called Z-Map or something, right? And then, but he's a man of great faith and he got healed. After that, Dr. Gray has been giving his blood to all the infected Ebola victims whose blood type matches. Why? Because now his healed blood has antibodies that will fight Ebola in every afflicted Ebolas. Guess what? When you take communion and when you drink this blood, you are taking the blood of the Son of God and it has antibodies that will fight because it has been paid for. Hallelujah! Because he was resurrected. Now the blood that you drink is full of the antibodies of victory over sickness, over disease, over death, over poverty, over oppression. And no power of the enemy can come against you. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Now, he, now for the first time, the world is realizing the power of the blood of a sinful man. How much more? The blood of the spotless and the blemishless Son of God. Amen? ever present to heal, everlasting to everlasting. So today when you take, receive it. Body, discern it. Make a distinction when you take the bread. Don't combine it all. And stop remembering your sins. Because in the new covenant, you do not remember your sins. Because Jesus said, God said, this is my new covenant. I will remember their sins no more. So what he has done, you should not. Because you then walk in your own threshold, in your gate. You are saying to God, I am sinful. When he says, you are clean. When, when, when Peter saw the vision of, uh, uh, of animals that was put for killing, what did God say? What God has declared clean, let no man declare unclean. It's a command from heaven. Do not call yourself clean, unclean when you are spotless and blemishless in the Son of God. Hallelujah. So communion is not a time to remember your sins. That is, that is blasphemy. That is the wrong understanding of communion. Communion is a time to remember the death of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's a time to receive the purchased righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let no man ever deceive you. The enemy wants to keep you under condemnation. Do not do that. Why? And at the same time, make a distinction of the body. When you take the bread, don't mix it up with all this business of eternal life. No, the bread I'm eating, I'm discerning it, is for my healing. Once you discern it, healing flows. For the first time, I discern the body. Say, Lord Jesus, I discern my body. I don't need to suffer. I don't need allergies. Hallelujah. Why? Because why should I, why should I work all night? No, I don't need allergies. You are my Sabbath. Yeshua, this body is my Sabbath. It is broken for me, paid for. I'm going to walk in it. Hallelujah. This body. Why did Paul say Because how are you, how are you taking this uh, communion? You're examining whether you're taking the communion correctly. Are you discerning that this is the body of Jesus Christ? Or are you not discerning it? In those times, people were not discerning it. They were just eating food as if they were not eating food and calling it communion. 
they are not discerning they are not they are not they are not not because they are not treating this valuable no they are not discerning that when they taken this bread that they are taking it as the body of jesus christ examine huh? yeah you can have parties but don't call it communion when the word the bible uses the word break bread eat food you look at it it's very purposeful whenever he says break bread that's communion whenever he says eat food that is just regular eating food hallelujah bless you break bread so break bread discern examine yourself examine yourself whether you're taking this correctly you are already righteous god has declared you righteous amen but declare discern the body discern it am i taking it correctly yes lord i discern this my body this body you take it more often do it at your house take it as often as you can and you have a challenge in your life any time you have a challenge go take communion you know you remind yourself this is the sabbath of yeshua he has provided in this what is the one of the things that he asked after resurrection children have you any food because we cannot be having poverty in our life no jesus is paid on the cross on the body and this so powerful this body is everything where did he become naked in jesus's ministry where was the only time jesus became naked on the cross did he wore good clothes yes was he clothed well yes how do we know that they gambled for his underwear no ma- I, i i don't know what brand of underwear i have but no i i i i trust nobody's going to gamble for my underwear but when they gambled for his undergarments it was of that quality amen but on the cross he became totally naked for you hallelujah because on that cross he took our nakedness that there is no man who has ever become as poor as jesus naked on a cross no man every poor man on the world always had a cloth some loin cloth something he has something to call his own but jesus on the cross had nothing to call his own why did he do it for fun no so that you can in turn receive full prosperity full victory full power full resources that you will never lack throughout your life hallelujah in that body he has given you all counsel he said he was he opened not his mouth as a sheep why so that you when you open your mouth your words of wisdom shall flow out of you when you talk to your bosses accurate words will flow out of you when you speak to your children words will flow out of you because now you will never be quiet hallelujah because he was quiet right now you're discerning the body in every area of the body you receive everything you need for life here but the blood you have life here and the life to come hallelujah hallelujah receive it and thank it remember in the blood is the righteousness that god purchased remember you could never get in through the gate but the holy spirit what did the holy spirit do the spirit do to ezekiel lifted him up and brought him where into the holy of holies when you drink the blood remember you are in the holy of holies be boldly confident before the throne of grace to receive whatever you need in time of need hallelujah because you are righteous you are clothed completely in the blood of jesus christ amen hallelujah remember when noah looked up and down what did he see atonement what did he see atonement what did he see atonement so when you walk around see atonement 
Why? Because you are righteous. Paid for. Paid for. Everywhere he looked, he was like, bribe, bribe, which is the word for ransom. Ransom, r- ransom, ransom, ransom. Everywhere, ransom. Paid for, paid for, paid for. Everywhere, paid for. I don't deserve it, but it's all paid for. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy it. Amen? I'm going to enjoy it. So, we spoke a lot of things, but now let's discern the body of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's receive. Let's enter into the Sabbath. I'm telling you, I've, I've got a strong sense that as you take communion today, some major breakthroughs are happening. Hallelujah. I can see res- lack of resources in this place. You are having challenges in terms of money. Money is flowing in. Money is flowing in. Jobs are coming in. Hallelujah. Healing is coming in. Challenges of healing. Hallelujah. You'll say, Anil, I'd, I've heard all this so many times. I'm tired. I've waited for so long. It has never happened. Ah, brother, my sister, wait. Rest patiently. It's happening. Discern the body of Jesus Christ today. Examine yourself. Have you walked in the Sabbath? Are you, have you, moved, are you walking in your labor? Are you walking or are you resting? Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. I think it's a powerful moment. I mean, you, you want your breakthrough? Yeah, call everybody. We have a powerful, I feel, I can sense there's an anointing here. The Lord says that he will confirm the word with signs following. Hallelujah. He does not confirm preaching. He's not confirming my words. He's not confirming my preaching. He's confirming the words of God, right? If this, uh, these words spoken here today are the words of the eternal God. If what is spoken today here are the words from the Holy Spirit has spoken, let him confirm it in your life. Hallelujah. Let him confirm it. Let him confirm it. As you take communion, let him confirm it. Hallelujah. Let him confirm it. Whatever lack you need. The Bible says, don't work, ask. Don't work, ask. Don't work, ask. Don't work, ask. Ask what you want, says the Lord. Ask what you want. If the good father in, if, the, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the good father in heaven? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wrong understanding, incomplete information on how good this father is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Children, we're going to have communion, right? We're going to, we're going to receive this communion. So let's, let's do that. Thank you, Master. As you take communion, as we take the bread. Okay, let's take communion seated. Hallelujah. Let's do that, right? Not because of anything else. Let's take it seated. Showing that you're resting in Yeshua. Hallelujah. Let's take it seated. When Jesus sat down and broke bread on the road of Emmaus. That's what the Bible says. Seated. Hallelujah. Is everybody seated? Amen. Why seated? Because the, Jesus has paid. He's done the work. When he stands, that means you're laboring. Right? Right? Because you're, if you're struggling in your, some area of your life, you're struggling for your school or you're struggling in from for your friends or you're struggling in in your marriage if you're struggling in your health if you're struggling in your wisdom if you're struggling in some area and you're trying to work it all by your own self and he said lord i cannot do it i i want to trust in you lord says rest in me sit in me 
believe that I have done it for you, right? So when you eat the body, now let's take the bread. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. I'm going to sit too. I'm going to show this as a picture as we resting in Jesus Christ. We don't labor anymore. And Jesus has paid the price. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Take the bread. Everybody take the bread. The Bible says, examine this bread. Hallelujah. And break it. Now let's all break it. Everybody broke it. Now this broken bread represents Jesus' broken body on the cross. He was beaten. He was bruised. He didn't have to go through all that, but he, was, he did it for our sake so that we don't have to have sickness. We don't have to struggle for wisdom. We don't have to be poor. He, be, he was naked on the cross. He did it all. So when you take it and eat it, say that I have become rich. I have become healed. I have become wise. Now go ahead and take it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord, for your body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Master. Lord, we receive by faith the blessing of the broken body of Jesus Christ. Every curse was nailed on that tree. Every curse, no curse upon us and upon our children, O oh Master. Fruitfulness, O oh Lord. Fruitfulness, O oh Lord. Your word says that I have appointed you to bear fruit and your fruit will remain. From this day onwards, O oh Lord, fruit in us and fruit in our children, O oh Master. Prosperity now in Jesus' name. Health now in Jesus' name. Because of what Jesus paid the price. Thank you, Master. Let's just open the foil and let's look at the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that this is a cup of blessing. Say cup of blessing. So what it means is when you drink this blood, it is a cup of blessing. That you're drinking blessing. This is a covenant. Say covenant. Say a promise. It's a promise that God will never hold your sins against you. Say God. Jesus Christ will never hold my sins against me. He has forgiven my sins. He has paid for my sins. I am healed. I am righteous. I am perfect. I am blessed. And therefore, the blessings of a righteous man shall overtake me from this time forth. I am blessed. Now drink this cup.